If we love one another truly, our love will be graced with the clear-sighted prudence which sees and respects the designs of God upon each separate soul. Modern Grace The quote that uh, I read right before the beginning of Introduction of Modern Grace was a quote by Thomas Merton from his book, No Man is an Island. Now we're going to do uh, our two devotionals, My Utmost for His Highest and Streams in the Desert, and then we're going to conclude with The Miracles of Jesus Christ, The Coin in the Fish's Mouth by Martin G. Collins. It's a forerunner Bible study from the Great Church of God in Charlottesville, North Carolina. But let's start with June 6th in uh, Most for His Highest. It's entitled, Work Out What God Works in You. And our scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Your will agrees with God, but in your flesh there is a nature that renders you powerless to do what you know you ought to do. When the Lord initially comes in contact with our conscience, the first thing our conscience does is awaken our will and our will always agrees with God. Yet you say, but I don't know if my will is in agreement with God. Look to Jesus, and you will find that your will and your conscience are in agreement with him every time. When we say look to Jesus, we mean to look at his character. Uh, it's almost a, it's a uh, what would Jesus do type of thing. So when you look to Jesus, you don't just look up at him, you look at his character and uh, the way he treated other folks, the way he handled certain situations. What causes you to say, I will not obey, is something less deep and penetrating than your will. It is perversity or stubbornness, and they are never in agreement with God. The most profound thing in a person is his will, not sin. The will is the essential element of God's creation in human beings. Sin is a perverse nature which in, entered into people. In someone who has been born again, the source of the will is Almighty God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. With focused attention and great care, you have to work out what God works in you not work to accomplish or earn your own salvation, but to work it out so you will exhibit the evidence of a life based and determined, unshakable faith on the complete and perfect redemption of God. As you do this, you do not bring an opposing will up against God's will. God's will is your will. Your natural choices will be in accordance with God's will. And living this life will be as natural as breathing. Stubbornness, 
is an unintelligent barrier, refusing enlightenment and blocking its flow. The only thing to do with this bar barrier of stubbornness is to blow it up with dynamite. And the dynamite is the obedience to the Holy Spirit. Do I believe that Almighty God is the source of my will? God not only expects me to do his will, but he is in me to do it. Streams in the Desert for June 6th. Our scripture comes from Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Dear friend, never go out into the danger of the world without praying first. There is always a temptation to shorten your time in prayer, such as, as after a difficult day at work. When you kneel at night to pray with tired eyes, do not use your drowsiness as an excuse to resign yourself to early rest. Maybe go to bed and pray, because I tell you what, there's nothing, nothing, nothing shameful, nothing sinful, and really nothing better than to fall asleep talking to the Lord. Then when the morning breaks and you realize you have overslept, resist the temptation to skip your early devotion or to hurry through it. Once again, you have not taken the time to watch and pray. Your alertness has been sacrificed, and I firmly believe that there, there will be irreparable damage. You have failed to pray, and you will suffer as a result. Temptations are waiting to confront you, and you are not prepared to withstand them. Within your soul, you have a sense of guilt, and you seem to be lingering some distance behind God. It certainly is no coincidence that you tend to fall short of your responsibilities on those days when you have allowed your weariness to interfere with your prayer life. When we give in to laziness, moments of prayer that are missed can never be redeemed. We may learn from the experience but we will miss the rich freshness and strength that would have been imparted during those moments. Jesus, the omnipotent Son of God, felt it necessary to rise each morning before dawn to pour out his heart to his Father in prayer. Should we not even feel more compelled to pray to him who is the giver of every good and perfect gift and who has promised to provide whatever we need we do not know all that Jesus gained from his time in prayer, but we do know this. A life without prayer is a powerless life. It may be a life filled with a great deal of activity and noise, but it will be far removed from him who day and night prayed to God. To conclude, we are going to uh, delve into the miracles of Jesus Christ. And this particular one is the coin in the fish's mouth. This is by Martin G. Collins, a forerunner Bible study from the Church of the Great God in uh, Charlottesville, North Carolina. We start with uh, Matthew chapter uh, 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? 
From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or their daughters? Or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The miracle of the coin found in the fish's mouth may be among the least dramatic of Christ's miracles, but it is certainly instructive. The context involves the paying of the temple tax, and not surprisingly, only Matthew, the former tax collector for, for Rome, reports it. Although he did not collect this particular tax, it still interested him. His account of Christ's life tends to highlight the king and his kingdom. Why then should the king be subject to a tax? Is he not the son of God, the heir of all his father's house? Coming to Capernaum, got it right. <laughs> Coming to Capernaum, the tax collector asked Simon Peter, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter replies in the affirmative. This tax was not a Roman civil tax, but a religious one supporting the temple in Jerusalem. God inaugurated this tax in the wilderness, instructing Moses to take a half a shekel from every male 20 years or older, and it provided for the work of the tabernacle and later of the temple, including during the time of Christ. This tax was not an evil one, per se, helping to cover legitimate costs of the worship of God, but as with almost all taxation, the money was often misused. Does Peter err in how he answers? Peter appears concerned that Jesus would not be esteemed a good Jew if he did not pay the tax. Not wanting to bring dishonor and danger on him, he acknowledges Jesus' liability to pay the taxes as if he were a mere son of Israel. His reply implies that Jesus had paid the tax and would continue to do as every devout Jew should. When Peter enters the house, Jesus immediately asks him about taxation. From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? This demonstration of Christ knowing what Peter had discussed elsewhere proves to the disciple that his divine omniscience is not limited by distance. And Peter answers the question with the only possible answer, from strangers. And Jesus, Jesus replies, then the sons are free. He refers to Peter and himself as both sons of the Father, the sovereign of the temple and therefore free from tax. However, rather than cause offense, Jesus arranges for the money to be found in a most miraculous way. Technically, Peter errs about the, legal, uh, about the legality of taxing the Son of God, but Jesus uses the principle of not needlessly, not needlessly offending a brother to positively express his divinity and spiritual power. He performs a miracle. Christ is so considerate that he would rather pay any amount, however, unjust or objective, objectable, objectionable, than endanger God's work by unnecessarily provoking negative comments that would hurt its credibility, saying, lest we offend them. His example should inspire us when we feel slighted 
or taken advantage of. Romans chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have is keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. How much control over the situation does Christ demonstrate? How precise is this miracle? Jesus' miracle consists not only in his omniscience, knowing that the fish would yield the necessary money, but also in the fact that the first fish that Peter took, uh, that, that took Peter's hook contained the precise sum required. The purpose and pleasure of Christ's will, which all creation obeys, guided that single fish out of multiple schools in the lake to Peter's hook. Christ, the Lord of creation, controls all things, even in the sea's fish and the earth's silver. Now, I think this was taken out of the King James, but there was uh, one that where Jesus found a rabbit's foot in a, a beehive. And I'm sure they did that for various controversies. Just kidding. Um, in describing Christ as the Word, <clears throat> the Apostle John writes, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Paul confirms this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Using his spiritual power, he makes a fish produce the exact amount of silver coin to pay the temple dues. This miracle reminds the disciples that he is indeed the omnipotent Son of God who controls all creation. How carefully conceived is this miracle? How does Jesus view his relationship with his disciples? The Greek word behind tax in the New King James Version or tribute in the King James Version in verse 24 is didrachma, D-I-D-R-A-C-H-M-A. Did Rachma. Did Rachma do that? No, he did not. Equivalent to the Jewish half shekel, the temple rate paid by every male Israelite above age 20. Those responsible for collecting these half shekels came to Peter. Unlike tolls, which were duties on goods, the temple tax was levied on individual Israelites. The collected money paid into the temple treasury defrayed the cost of temple services. The Jews were much more willing to accept this collection than to pay the despised publicans who extracted taxes from Rome. The miracle's preciseness is seen in the coin found in the fish's mouth, a full shekel, two didrachmas, half a shekel each for Christ and Peter, for me and you, verse 27, the exact amount to satisfy the requirement. In this way, Jesus put himself alongside Peter as sharing his position and relationship as a son of the kingdom. All true Christians fill this amazing position. They are no longer servants, but sons in Christ. With his brethren, Jesus shares his family relationship to his father. This account contains two principles. The first is doctrinal, 
teachings uh, that Jesus places in God's kingdom as the rightful son. The second is moral, showing that, that greatness in the kingdom derives from service and humility. Jesus' phrase, lest we offend them, should motivate us to employ meekness and wisdom.